Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 133 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hey. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Even quieter, hey. Oh, back to the competition again. I don't want to be a part of this competition. How do I opt out? (laughs) You guys might not be able to hear it, but Dylan says hey like 40 or 50 times an episode in the background. (laughs) Just to be sure, you should probably listen to all the episodes again two or three times. (laughs) Um, you know what's weird is that we're recording this before the election, and it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> what? I just mean like when when the people are listening to this. When that sentence went, I could not have predicted. <laughs> no, Bailey, I thought about this too. It's weird because it's li- this is literally coming out Wednesday morning. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so like, much okay. more will be known about the world then but we just don't know now and we're gonna i don't know not talk about it too much because i'm sure you part yeah. of why you listen to podcasts is to not hear about it um i didn't think about it at all <laughs> hence my look of shock and surprise when that's where that sentence went also you know that the election might not be called on wednesday so people could still not know no i i get that i just feel like i don't know it's just gonna be a whole new world either yeah. way any way it goes <laughs> tuesday is gonna be a big day i agree <laughs> Also, we're recording before Halloween, and so this might be the last time we see Toby alive. Toby, do you want to explain what you're doing on Halloween? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, no. sure. You're going to a murder house. <laughs> um, He's yeah. not not going to a murder house. So, uh, me and my wife are going to go meet some people that we found on the internet, uh, and we're going to buy their decrepit RV from them. And, and they insist on seeing you on Halloween. Uh, yes, in they person. did want us to come <laughs> in person to Watsonville, the most haunted location in California. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was creepy at all, actually, until Dylan pointed it all out. And now the facts are a little bit sketch. I mean, you know, they said bring, like, a bucket of blood and, you know, our dearest possession. But Firstborn child. Yeah, I mean, they didn't want any payment. They just want, like, a finger. So, not a good deal. Do you want to, like, say their full name and the address they say that you're supposed to meet them just in case the police need it? Yes, yes, of course. Um, but yeah, realistically, um, me and my wife, uh, are going to, uh, buy a secondhand RV. We're going to restore it together and take it on the road, uh, when the road becomes an option again. So, uh, see you later, Pedro's. <laughs> Hope we survive. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, that's just a setup to a horror movie. And then we went to get this haunted RV far, <laughs> far away from civilization. Knowing that it's haunted going in is a big, uh, red flag. Yeah. Guys, we're not millionaires, okay? <laughs> I don't care how many people have run screaming in flames from the back of this RV. It's affordable. <laughs> so, guys, so check it. <laughs> yes. This is a sad check it. Oh. <laughs> the most restrained check it ever checked. Check it. I got to check myself because here's the thing. I wrecked myself. Uh-oh. Oh, no. But I had really good intentions, and I'm sure that you, Pedro, you listener, may sympathize. You know the road to wreck yourself is paved with good intentions. Yeah. But, Bill, you should respect yourself. <laughs> okay. Do I need to give you a moment to collect yourself? <laughs> so, I saw something on the internet, which was forwarded to me by Dylan's dad. And, you know, that was probably the first problem, is, like, you shouldn't just accept forwards from people. You should question them. Mm-hmm. Especially not your father-in-law. Hi, Rick. <laughs> I'm giving myself a lot of excuses for this, but I got this email from 
Dylan's dad, who explained that The Strand, everybody's favorite bookstore on this podcast. Yep. Bailey and I have matching shirts. Yes. Um, So the email was from the owner saying, the time has come, guys. The pandemic has hit us. The Strand might have to close down. It's just we need your help in the next few months. Mm -hmm. And I respond by immediately being like, yes, I'm going to support The Strand by buying from them. And I'm going to tell all the pages to do the same thing. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. So, but I mean, my heart was in such a good place. Like I yeah. put it on my to-do list for the day. And when I did it, I checked it off. I was like, great. I did my good thing for the day. Mm-hmm. I spent more money than I ever spent on books. <laughs> I got 12 new books. Oh. <laughs> Dylan got three and Maggie got two. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame Maggie for getting those two. No, actually, she doesn't understand shame yet. She crawled over to the computer and clicked the little hand. Then we got several messages, including one from Dylan's brother saying, "You monsters, the Strand is horrible and does not deserve your money because the lady who owns it is basically like she bought a lot of stock." in Amazon and she has not been paying her workers despite getting a loan, the PPP loan that was supposed to be to pay the workers. Instead, she fired them. And she's a millionaire who owns the building and you know, there's no reason why she would have to shut down. So she's shady and I spent a lot of money and promoted on her Instagram and got shamed for it. And now I have eight new books of shame. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. I mean, you know, Bailey, like you said, your heart was in the right place. You know, there's so much poop on the ground. You're bound to step at some of it sometime. I think I think you're forgiven, at least by me. Yeah. Also, Bailey, like you didn't know those things. I had maybe heard some rumors that she was maybe not not the most reputable owner of a store, but I still love the store. And, you know, when push comes to shove, you have a bunch of books and that's great. Books are great. The store itself is great, whether or not the owner is a little bit cruddy, you know, don't don't beat yourself up. So I'm just going to, you know, no big deal. Just like list off my new shame (laughs) and like we can just not worry about it. Do it. Okay. So I got... Um, the Westing Game and A Separate Piece, which are two coming-of-age classics. I got The Imaginary Friend by Steve Chopsky, mm. which is supposed to be creepy. I got Bunny by Mona Awad. S-Word Actually by Lindy West. We're, we're a family-friendly podcast. I can't mm-hmm. say what that one's about. Lindy W-Word. Yep. <laughs> How to Be Famous by Caitlin Moran. We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby. And Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld, mm. which is a reimagining of what would happen if Hillary did not marry Bill Clinton. Wow. Interesting. I, I assumed it was a biography, or, you know, biography. More like a liography. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Whoa. So that's my news. Do you guys have any shame or other otherwise? I have a little bit of shame. Uh, it's not book purchasing shame. It's more of, like, uh, sheltering my psyche from the trauma of the world shame. Actual shame? Yeah, yeah. actual shame. <laughs> um, right now, I am in anticipation of the November release of Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson, book number four in the Stormlight Archive. I am rereading the over thousand page uh, book Oathbringer, which is number three in the Stormlight Archive. And you know what? I'm really freaking enjoying it. But it is a little bit shameful to like, it's, I'm listening to the audiobook. The audiobook is 55 hours long. Wait, why is it shameful? I don't get it. Maybe it wouldn't be shameful to everybody. I don't love rereading books, and I'm always like, oh, I want to read a new one. I want to broaden my mind more. I love Brandon Sanderson. I love this genre, but it's very, very safe. 
I would put it on the opposite end of the spectrum, for example, from Lester, a book like Lester, where I feel like it expanded my mind and expanded my mm-hmm. knowledge of the world. But I love it. I'm doing it. I feel shame. Listen, you know, I have been eating a lot of cereal lately. We all have our comforts. Podcast canceled. <laughs> you ate my cereal too? <laughs> She's just sitting there with a giant bowl of cereal clicking by on the Strand website. <laughs> I support this, Toby. I think whatever gives you joy. Thank you. Uh, All right. Well. (laughs) That's enough random crap, right? (laughs) That's enough intro. You know, you know what? This jibber jabber's lost its luster. Oh, I'm about to ghost this intro. Oh, that was terrible. That was pretty good. I liked it. So, Andrew, transition, transition. I hear that you had a book to read this week. What book did you read? I had Luster by Raven Leilani. Shine, 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 shine. Sex, 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 sex. Yeah, I think Toby's closer. It may be more using the first four letters of the title oh. as sort of a, a thrust about what it's about. Um, Please don't use the but word let's thrust. let's talk about it. I don't want to spoil everything. So here's my uh, attempt at a log line. Raven Leilani's debut novel, Luster, follows Edie, a 23-year-old black woman living in New York City, as her life continues a process of steady unraveling that started years ago. She started a new flirtation with Eric, a white man in his 40s who has just opened his marriage. Luster is a book that deftly explores race in America, the lies we tell ourselves about ourselves, and the innumerable ways we try and fail to feed and sustain ourselves. What a wonderful logline. Excellent. I always worry about the loglines that they're just completely off base, so it's helpful to sometimes have someone else who's read it. I have a confession. I have to say it. I'm going to say it. These oh. aren't loglines. These are summaries. Yeah, it's yep. true. We, and we, I just, I just, I need the listeners to know that I know that, and that's okay. <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. I thought about that maybe a year ago when we started doing that, <laughs> and then I just never questioned it and just went forward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that's on me. So. It's a relatively simple plot, and I don't actually want to give you too, too much because it's a really quick read. It's honestly probably better if you're interested with the review to just go out and read it. But to give you a little more, Edie, the main character, is in New York City. Things are not going well for her. Her job is dead end. Um, She doesn't feel liked there. She's starting a romance with a married man who has just started an open relationship and she seems to be in a lot of trouble in many ways, financially, uh, emotionally, creatively. She's an aspiring painter, um, and she's not having success either getting ahead doing that or feeling like she's creatively fulfilled when she's just doing it for herself. And the thrust of the story is her relationship with Eric, who's the married man, and his wife, who she meets, whose name is Rebecca. Ooh. Not not Rebecca, not, not the Lady of Manderley, but, <gasps> but uh, a Rebecca who appears in the pages. So to pivot from that, I'm going to do my elves first. Okay, so great. it has really great pacing. Um, it clips along really quickly and doesn't preoccupy itself with like guiding you through what's going on. It, it sort of presents the facts of what happened and then it's up to you to catch up. And, and I always felt like I did catch up, but I didn't feel like it lingered on moments too long. That way it kept its sort of slim 225 pages is, is how mine is. And so like I never felt like I was stuck in any moment of the story. I was always getting pulled forward. Excellent. Um, it's great writing. Also, it's incredibly direct. It's f- full of funny moments and it's full of depth that sort of comes out and surprises you, which I'm noticing in our reviews seems to be a style of writing we all like, that sort of straightforward writing that 
sometimes has a hook in it. And this definitely falls into that category. I'm going to bring in the first of a couple quotes. Uh, so this is from page five, very early on in the book, um, talking about trying to arrange a meeting uh, with Eric. We talk for a month before our schedules align. We try to meet earlier, but things always come up. This is just one way his life is different from mine. There are people who count on him, and sometimes they need him urgently. Between his abrupt cancellations, I realize that I need him too. In a way that makes my dreams delirious expressions of thirst. Long stretches of yellow desert, cathedrals hemmed in dripping moss. By the time we set our first real date, I would have done anything. He wanted to go to Six Flags. Whew. Yeah. So as you see there, really strong writing, and then there's a funny hook at the end. Like, what adult 40-year-old wants to do a first date at Six Flags? And the answer is Eric, who's a big weirdo. <laughs> Just to throw another quote in um, that's maybe more on the powerful side of it um, versus the humorous side. This is way later in the book on page 206. I do my best to be cool about this contact, but it has never happened before. And I pat her awkwardly on the shoulder, terrified that a too enthusiastic reciprocation would alert her to her error. Like the way a white person might raise a jungle cat from birth and be pals for a time until the cat turns five and realizes it is, in fact, a carnivore. If I'm honest, all my relationships have been like this parsing the intent of the jaws that lock around my head. Like, is he kidding or is he hungry? In other words, all of it, even the love, is a violence. Ooh, that's beautifully written. Right? Yeah. She's yeah. an amazing, amazing writer. Um, but yeah, so those are just a couple instances of, of writing I really liked in the book. And what came to me during the reading process of this is, and I mean this in a really nice way, but it felt young. Like mm. the book felt young, like it, it felt genuine and it felt essential. It felt like great literature written without worrying about sounding like great literature. Sounds like like fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh is a good word for it because it, it references pop culture, which is something I don't usually like, but it just does it so offhandedly and so seamlessly that it works. Um, there are strange choices like a first date at Six Flags. <laughs> and at times it's like very colloquial in how it's written, but it all works. And uh, the whole time you can't help but just tell that what you're reading is really well written. And it just it sort of feels unconcerned with being perceived as serious. And in doing that, when it is serious, it is so strong. Excellent. That sounds great. You're making me want to read this. I think you should. Um, just a couple of other things. Uh, the characters are great. All of them get so much detail around them. You feel like you learn a lot. And at the same time, you feel like you know them from Edie's perspective. So you know a lot about them, but only as much as one could get from like a careful observation of a narrator. That's a really good point. It was cool to get four such rich characters in such a slim volume and it's like just casual with how good it is honestly like I'm, i have one more quick quote it's on page 26 um this is our narrator Edie talking specifically about how she's not feeling successful as a painter when it comes to this i cannot help feeling that i'm at the end of a fluctuation that originated with a single butterfly i mean with one half degree of difference everything i want could be mine I am good, but not good enough, which is worse than simply being bad. It is almost. The difference between being there when it happens and stepping out just in time to see it on the news. Still, I can't help feeling that in the closest arm of the multiverse, there is a version of me that is fatter and happier, smiling in my own studio, paint behind my ears. But whenever I have tried to paint in the last two years, I have felt paralyzed. Oh my gosh, that hits me really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all of those are to say that I think 
It's a wonderful book. It's really well written. I have very few orcs. One thing I'll say is initially I was sort of put off by how young it felt and how sexual it was. But then I realized I kind of had to get over myself because once I let myself just sort of enjoy what was being written or just per- perceive what was being written, it was great. Um, I think I just have to put away my, my prudish New England sensibilities. Mm. Um, so, But there was a little bit of that. And if you're sensitive to that material, maybe this isn't the book for you. I would say definitely. Definitely. If you are squeamish about sex explicitly. Or bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Description of bodies. Like, I would skip this one and no no judgment to you if you do. That's entirely fine. Um, but if you're fine with it, I would recommend it. Body, sex, and kind of like uncomfortable psychological situations related to like power dynamics and sex. That really affected me in this book. This book really affected me. Yeah, absolutely. And then the only thing that's really small that I can say about in the orc column uh, is that I thought the first half was a little bit slower than the second. There's some setup that needs to happen, some priming of the audience to know how far the book will go and how the book will will tell you things. But once it gets past that halfway mark, uh, it really like started ripping. And so for me, like the first half of the book is about four stars because you have to sort of understand what's going on. But the second half is five. And the second half wins for me, so I'm giving this book five stars, Ooh. keeping it on my shelf. And Bailey, I'll bring it to L.A. if you want to borrow it. Um, yeah, I would love to read it. I keep seeing it. Like, I just saw it on the Goodreads um, Best Book of the Year list, so I'm excited to read it. Toby, did you agree with the five stars? To a degree. I ended up giving it four stars. Um, I agree <gasps> 100% with Andrew's review. Um, I struggled with this book a lot because it was so good. It is, or maybe my perception of it is more bleak than Andrews, it really uh, affected me and depressed me and made me feel uh, viscerally upset. And that's a compliment to how how intense this book is. I personally had like a revelation while I was reading it where I was like, oh, this is not, uh, there's, a, there's a Franz Kafka quote that floats around and I'm going to misquote it, but he says generally um, in a letter that we should only read books that harm us, that hurt us and make us feel viscerally the kind of pain of the characters. Uh, and that is what this book was for me. I enjoyed it more when I said to myself, the point is that you feel upset. Like this is an upsetting story with upsetting things and it's all very true. So yeah, I, I mean, I gave it four stars only because I agree wholeheartedly with Andrew that it drags a little bit in the beginning and also because it's a very personal grading scale and I five star books for me are like, I love this book. I love it so, so, so much. And this one was so painful at times for me to read that I couldn't give it five stars, but that's not actually a mark of quality. Um, I would recommend this. If you think you can stomach it, you, you must read this book. It's really good. Cool. Yeah, completely agree. And I, I didn't mean to, in my review, plaster over how, how tough of a reading experience it can be. Yeah, how dare um, you? So you should, you, should, you should know that going in. But yeah, I know. I, I, but I'm with you, Toby. I, if this has intrigued you and you think you can handle some of the things that we mentioned, wholeheartedly recommend supporting this book and, and giving it a read. I feel very intrigued and feel like I should, you know, call up the strand and order another book. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, Toby, do you have any facts on Raven Leilani? I absolutely do. Um, so Raven Leilani, prepare to be sad. Uh, she was born August 26, 1990. That's She's so a sad. famous author. She's younger <laughs> so than sad. Andrew even. Yep. 
Okay, well, what, the same year, <laughs> at least. Um, so this is her debut novel. Um, she grew up in a family of artists in the Bronx before she moved to a suburb of Albany, New York. Uh, she grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, although she left the church later in life. Um, she attended a, an arts high school and actually originally intended to be a painter. Um, but she eventually decided that she didn't have enough talent. So that is very much related to the storyline in this. Ooh. Uh, her first job was as an imaging specialist for Ancestry.com. Uh, oh. she, she then worked for a scientific journal and then for the U.S. Department of Defense, also as a delivery person for Postmates in Washington, D.C. Um, she also worked as an archivist at Macmillan, the publishing house. In 2017, she got her MFA at New York University, where she studied under Zadie Smith and alongside writers Katie Kitamura and Jonathan Safran Foer. Oh, no. Oh, no, not him again. <laughs> um, and she now lives in Brooklyn. The rest of this is going to be excerpts from a New York Times article that is called Raven Leilani, a flaneur who is going places. It starts out, uh, I'm going to have a quote from Raven Leilani herself. Quote, I wanted to write a story about a black woman who fails a lot and is sort of grasping for human connection and making mistakes. I didn't want her to be a pristine, neatly moral character. End quote. And she certainly is not. Yes. Um, so Zadie Smith is a particular fan of Raven Leilani's. Zadie has called the book, quote, a daring, perverse, wildly funny book about how we use each other, especially how the old use the young socially, economically, and intimately, close quote. Ooh. Um, so this is more directly from the article. But when it came time to apply for college, she realized that she wasn't quite good enough to make a career out of painting. This is her saying, quote, I still loved it a lot, and I think that you can see that in a lot of my writing. But with grappling with those artistic limits, I found that it took the love out of it a little bit, she said. With writing, that's not the case. Even when it's hard, I still love it. Close quote. Andrew, you, uh, tell me if you agree. I think her the depiction of her struggling to create or to be creative is one of the big pillars of strength in the book. I think it's a really, uh, as someone who personally struggles to creatively produce sometimes, I, I really identify with that. What did you think, Andrea? Yeah, no, completely agree. I don't personally struggle to create. I'm amazing at creating everything that I want to create. Oh, okay. I never have once had writer's block or struggled with an idea or anything. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I could see that this was a depiction of someone who that does happen to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. Um, so this is a little bit about um, the short time that she worked at Macmillan as a production associate. Quote, and this, I, I love this. This really shows how much she loves to write. Quote, I'd write inside the HTML of the eBooks. So it looked like I was making corrections, but I was writing luster. So that's cute. Yeah. I love that example of her just getting it done wherever she can. Um, I had other jobs. Has anyone noticed this copy of Great Expectation has like a really explicit sex scene in it now? <laughs> it's a weird footnote. <laughs> Um, at other jobs, uh, she would write on the back of receipts or in email drafts. Hey, I think you CC'd me on like another <laughs> really hardcore sex scene. <laughs> please, please stop doing that. Um, so yeah, and then uh, here's a, a final little note from her. Um, her goal, this is from the article, her goal in developing the character of Edie was to melt away the, quote, studiedness end quote, that people, especially black people, learn as a survival mechanism in a world where they are constantly surveilled. Quote, I wanted Edie to take up space. I wanted her to always be articulating to us, even though she's not articulating to the people in her environment what she wanted. End quote. Ooh. 
Yeah. And so that's Raven Lee Loney. This is her debut novel. There's not a ton out there. She's younger than all of us. So she, this is what, that's what she's done. But again, she's just barely younger than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I am really excited for, for her future. Wow. Toby, that, yeah. that's so Raven. <laughs> wow. Dylan, I just want to know how long you were sitting on that. Oh, so long. So long. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Bailey, did you read a book? <laughs> <laughs> well, for Halloween, she read a Check ghost it. story. Oh. Ooh. Yes, I did. I read a book called Ghost. By who? Ghost, Ghost, Ghost. By Jason Reynolds. Ah. Jason, Jason, Jason. Okay, so this is my, it's not a logline, it's a haiku. <laughs> a traumatized boy makes mistake after mistake, finds hope running track. Succinct. Nice. What a great log line it's that al- was. It's a, no, it's a haiku. What a fantastic log line. So yes, this book, as I mentioned on the last episode, I added it to my list because it was on the Great American Read, PBS. It was also nominated for a National Book Award for Young Adult Literature. Um, it's really well-loved, despite it being really recent and it being a middle-grade book, people really love it and it's really well-respected. And so as somebody that loves middle-grade, I had to read it. I mean, middle school? It's not, I wouldn't qualify it as YA. I would qualify it as middle grade. So it says ages 10 and up would enjoy this book. There's no really adult themes. Like the kids have hard lives, but there's no sex. None of that. It's it's for like middle schoolers. Like you would read this in like a seventh grade class. Um, and that's one of my elves about it is that I think this would be awesome to teach. And I wish th- mm. if I were still teaching, I would 100% teach this book. Um, Does it make you want to teach again? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I my my reoccurring stress dream is that I have to just teach a day of school. Like it's just a day of school. Um so the main character is named Ghost. It's a nickname he gives himself. Ghost is um a young black 7th grader growing up in an unspecified American city. He has a difficult life and from that, from like running from difficult things in his life, he discovers that he has a natural talent for running. And one day mm. he comes upon a group of kids who are auditioning for the track team. And he thinks, I could do better. I'm, I'm sorry, Bailey. What? You don't audition for the track team. <laughs> I think you try out for the track team. Listen. <laughs> you try out for the track I'm here for football the, team auditions. This is my side. <laughs> Your high jump was cool, but I'm up here. I'm up here. Uh, do you have any notes? <laughs> I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to be no, no, here, right. but I couldn't let it pass. Listen, I was clearly on the track team as a kid. Actually, I was briefly. Can I tell you? This is a side yes. story. Oh, this People- is my favorite part about the podcast. As a person who listens to the podcast... <laughs> Bailey's high school and younger stories are my favorite part. So growing up, my best friends were these this group of girls that lived on a street near the school. And I always wanted to also live in a street near the school, but I didn't. I lived on an island like a lame That's so much cooler than living by not in school. Maine. Not in not in Yarmouth, Maine, it's not. And so mm. one of one of the girls, Julia, was on the track team, the Royal River Ramblers. And Ooh, that sounds like a like a country band. Yeah, and she was really good, but similar similar to Ghost, I thought I could do better than that. It's just running. Anybody can run. <laughs> and so 
I joined the Royal River Ramblers as well and came in last every race. <laughs> oh, no. In fact, I was like walking. It was like mile race. And my friend Lizzie, one of the other people that lived on the road, would walk alongside me, not on the team, like oh, Bailey, no. to finish the race. So I learned that, no, not everybody can run. If you think of it, it's like you auditioned for the role of winner of the race. But they just never gave you the role. But they cast me as loser of the race. <laughs> Runner number 10. You didn't even make callbacks. <laughs> so anyway, Ghost sees these people trying out for the track team and thinks, I can do that. And so he runs alongside them and beats them. So then gets on the team. That's, hmm. that's the beginning of the book. Um, but he obviously doesn't have the same experience with track. He doesn't know who Usain Bolt is. He doesn't know anything. But through his relationship with running and through um, his mentor, Coach Brody, he finds hope. And all that without a theatrical agent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm I'm reading for the part of Hopeful Kid. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. So um, also this book is the first of four books in the track series by Jason Reynolds. And they each follow the four new uh, runners on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I liked about the book. Check it. Check it. Great scenes. Like from the, the audition, the tryout. <laughs> great scene. It was fun. Triumphant. Then there was a poignant scene, like when Coach Brody talks about how he got a tattoo that he has. Um, and just in general, the realism. I think Jason Reynolds really understands kids. Mm. He writes a lot of middle grade and YA, and it seems like he really can get in their head. One example is that he describes um, Ghost's thinking process about like why he won't tell like the coach why he did something bad. Like he mm-hmm. did something bad, and he doesn't want to explain his excuses. But in as the reader, you're like, just tell him he'll understand. But as a kid, you're like, no, there's no way he would ever understand. Yeah, um, I feel like the characters were very realistic. They felt modern and fresh. Fresh. I remember being a kid and and hearing people, hearing adult authors be complimented on their ability to like write as if they were children and thinking like, oh, it's not that hard. Like, this is how you think forever. And then you grow up and you're like, wow, I don't even remember what that kind of logic process is like. Yeah, that's absolutely. What, I feel like I, yeah. I used to think it was like knowing the right lingo, but it's mm-hmm. not that. It's, oh, not, not at all. Yeah, it's knowing how they think. Yeah, yeah. like how kids say fresh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so mean to me. <laughs> So here's just a quick example of how Ghost describes himself. He says, like, for me, the best way to describe it is I got a lot of scream inside. Mm. I got a lot of scream inside, Um, which is just a beautiful way of saying it. Well written, but at the same time, you could hear a kid like that's the way he expresses (laughs) his anger, his trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's well written, great scenes and great characters. Obviously, the four main runners who become the leads of the books are interesting and they each have their own intriguing backstory. But I think the best character is Coach Brody because he's just, you know, you know, in pop culture when there's just a really good teacher and you're like, I want that guy to be my teacher mm-hmm, <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. you know, your chosen family. I, you want him to be your yeah. dad. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's my favorite character. Um, so those are all things that I liked. Um, it's very simple. It's not very simple. It's very short. It's like 180 pages, you know, big font. You can read it really quickly. And basically, the only critique I have is that... Excuse me. The only Work. 
Yeah, sorry, you're right. The only orc I have is that I am 34 and not in middle school. And if I were in middle school, I would 100% love this five stars. And right now I'm just kind of like, oh, that's sweet. Which is condescending, maybe, but no. I from the research I've done, it really seems that Jason Reynolds is very uh, deliberate in that he, he's not even really trying to write a book where it's like anybody could enjoy it. He's like, this is for kids, right? And specifically kids who don't want to read Moby Dick or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, that that's that makes me feel better. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know. 10-year-old Bailey would give it five stars. I give it four stars. Um, and then just another thing is that I wasn't dying to pick up the next book in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but you ordered them anyway from the Strand, so. <laughs> but I could imagine 10-year-old Bailey, like, reading this one one night and then going back to the library the next day and getting the next book. So nice. that's my review of Ghost. Four stars. Keeping it on the shelf? Yes. I'm putting it on Maggie's shelf. Sweet. Oh, yeah. You only got to wait. Um, Ten years? Like eight years? Ten years? <laughs> Before she's ready. She's going to read advanced, so she can read it at eight. I agree. Uh, Toby, do you have any facts on Jason Reynolds? I do have some facts on Jason Reynolds. Um, He was born on December 6th, 1983. He's written quite a few uh, young adult novels, as well as some collections of poetry. Um, He was born in Washington, D.C. and raised in the neighborhood of Oxon Hill. Jason Reynolds found inspiration early in rap, um, and he began writing poetry when he was nine years old. Um, He really focused for a very long time on poetry for about 20 more years from there. He was actually 17 before he read his first novel cover to cover, um, which is something he talks about a lot because he does a lot of speaking to uh, kids. He published several poetry collections before publishing his first novel in 2014 called When I Was the Greatest, which won the Coretta Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent. Uh, in the next four years after that, he wrote eight more novels, and that includes the entire track series. He also wrote a Marvel Comics graphic novel called Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Oh, nice. He was named the Library of Congress's National Ambassador for Young People's Literature in January 2020. Um, And that is, in case you haven't heard of it, it's a two-year position to increase appreciation of youth literature. The rest of these facts are from uh, an article on WashingtonPost.com. The article says, When he was in school, teachers gave him the classics, Shakespeare, Moby Dick, Lord of the Flies. They didn't click with him. As he explained to his middle school audience, quote, The teacher was like, read this book about a man chasing a whale. And I'm like, Bruh, I don't know if I can connect to a man chasing a whale when I've never seen a whale. Nothing that's happening in these books is happening in my neighborhood, unquote. Um, Written for middle graders and teens, Reynolds' books address difficult subjects, but they aren't scary. They reflect his understanding of the fears and challenges that all young people experience. They also reflect his awareness that today's kids face huge distractions. Quote, the literary world has to compete with YouTube, Instagram, PlayStation, Xbox, Hulu, and so on. When it comes to books and reading, we have to get creative. Unquote. That really jumped out to me as an interesting and fresh perspective and very honest. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people do a lot of complaining about how kids are like on their devices. But the reality is, is like it's happening. So maybe just figure out a way to deal with it. Make sure to follow the Tarelist TikTok. Um. <laughs> it's just Dylan doing dances. <laughs> I, would, I would follow that. Um, uh, this is from the article. The finger wagging and required reading lists of well-meaning teachers and parents can backfire, he says. Instead, Reynolds recommends books written in a, quote, natural tongue, unquote, in comparative literature and the use of non-traditional materials, comic books and rap music, for example, as a catalyst for literacy. It was rap music, in fact, that opened Reynolds to the world of literature. 
As he likes to tell his middle school audiences, one day back in Oxen Hill, he went to the store and bought a Queen Latifah cassette tape for $5. That puts you right in the year that that happened. (laughs) Um, As he was listening and rapping along, he opened the liner notes and made a life-changing discovery. Quote, this is also literature in the form of poetry, but it sounds like me, unquote. That's great. Yeah. Remember liner notes, guys? Crazy. Yeah, Yeah, those were fun. (laughs) They were fun. So I know you are curious. It took me a little bit of searching, but I found it. The first book he read when he was 17 um, was Richard Wright's Black Boy. Quote, the mischief in that book, he says, reminded me of the mischief that my friends and I had done. Unquote. Reynolds was at that time a student of Bishop McNamara High School in Prince George County, Maryland, the same school, coincidentally, that wimpy kid creator Jeff Kinney attended years earlier. Whoa. Um, And so here's a kind of final mission statement from Jason Reynolds himself. Quote, all I want kids to know is that I see them for who they are and not who everyone thinks they are. And putting that on the page with integrity and balance to acknowledge the glory and the brokenness. That's all I want to do. It's a lot, but so are they. Unquote. Oh, that's sweet. I was looking him up a little bit on Instagram. He has a lot of conversations with little kids that he records and they like talk about books and their inventions and this sort of thing. But it it feels like that, like he understands them. He meets them where they are. Yeah, it sounds like he's an amazing, he sounds like he deserves a lifetime, you know, appointment to that position because it sounds like he does a ton for youth literacy. It's really important to him and it sounds like he's really successful at it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ghost, Jason Reynolds, Four stars. Really, five stars for kids. Five stars for Jason, four stars for the book. There you go. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to say, Andrew, do you have a game? But no, Toby is our game master this week. I don't even have a Bo- game. Uh, 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 yes, I'm going to pitch you two together in a game to the death. To no, the death? <laughs> I'm down. Sibling versus sibling. Uh, I'm very excited to have the chance to do this. This game's, because the subject matter and content of Luster is maybe not so much our uh, our wheelhouse, uh, being a family-rated podcast, we're going to focus on Ghost, and not even the real meaning of Ghost. We're going to go more the Halloween route, um, and this game is called Ghost or Gibberish. So it has nothing to do with either of the books. No. <laughs> Um, wait, wait, wait. In Toby's defense, as someone who's made a lot of games for this podcast, sometimes you just have to go in the title. You're not going to read the book. It's called Ghost. Thank this is totally you. legitimate. Thank you. And also, Toby, thank you for making a game. Yes. I really needed um, <laughs> some help this week. No problem. Um, so I appreciate you taking that off my plate. I really, I really enjoyed it. I'm joshing you, Toby, but I feel like you knew this book was about track. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> anyway, I'm not interested in track. I'm interested in ghosts. Okay. Um... So, this is going to be a classic Andrew-style game. Uh, I'm going to say two things. One of them is a real ghost. What do you mean a real ghost? I mean a real ghost. I don't believe in no ghosts. <laughs> well, you're about to get haunted. I do, and that's why I'm going to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a, a real ghost in the in the way that it is a real piece of folklore. It's something, it's an actual story that people tell each other. And the other one is just some gibberish that I made up that sounds like it could be a real ghost. Now, uh, I'm going to change a little bit because... I'm not going to put any restrictions on when you buzz in. Ooh. If you have a, a brilliant uh, strategy, a way to game the game, I'm not going to hold you back from that. I'm going to regard it as creative uh, uh, gameplay. So you can buzz in um, just by saying boo. Boo. Um, right, I'm going to practice. Boo. boo. Okay, I nailed it. Very good. Already ah. <laughs> I will say there are not too many of these um, because I'm going to give you a little story of the real one each time. So... The points very much matter. I also want the listeners to know that I do believe in ghosts. 
I just need them to know that. And I want the ghost listeners to know that I am afraid of them and would like if they did not haunt me. I want everyone to know that I ain't afraid of no ghost because Ghostbusters is a good movie. So I'm going to say both names and you guys buzz in. Ready? Yep. The Bell Witch. The Clapham Crawler. Boo. Andrew. I believe the the Bell Witch is the real ghost. I would have said that too. You are scarily correct. That's a point for Andrew. Um, so this is um, actually the the witch that partially inspired the Blair Witch Project. So these these events eventually allegedly happened at John Bell's Tennessee farm between 1817 and 1821. Bell shot at a strange animal on his farm, but the creature disappeared before it could be harmed. Several weeks later, the Bell family was tormented by a ghost that made terrifying sounds, shook the house, and physically attacked Bell's daughter Betsy. The spectral assaults continued for several years, and at one point, Andrew Jackson is said to have dabbled in ghost hunting and to have done his own investigation. Dope. You didn't watch the documentary Andrew Jackson Ghost Hunter? Old Hickory versus Haunting. Okay, your next set of ghosts. The Drury Lane Ghost, the Black Cat of Newton. Boo. Boo. Bailey. Bailey was first. Bailey. Uh, Drury Lane. You guys know your ghosts. I I want the cat. Well, (laughs) you want wrong. So the Drury Lane ghost is correct. Um, There's actually more than one ghost that's said to to haunt Drury Lane's halls and wings, including those of several actors. Uh, The most famous, however, is a man in gray, seen as a nobleman carrying a sword. That is all the details we have on the Drury Lane ghost. What is... Drury Lane. Is it like a place? It's a theater in England, correct? Yes. It's a theater, a very famous, very old theater in England where lots of people died and haunt, apparently. Mm -hmm. So really, I should give Bailey like four or five points because there's more ghosts there. I will take them. Okay. Five to one. That is a ridiculous rule. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Next set. The Murdered Peddler. The Cut Hands Man. Boo. I'm picking the Cut Hands Man just because I think it's a cooler name. Well... You're wrong, but thanks, because I made it up. Okay, wait, can you tell us the made-up story of the Cut Hands Man? <laughs> yeah, so the Cut Hands Man was this guy who got a paper cut so bad that he died. Because <laughs> back in the day, you died when over stupid things like that. And you will never know the true story of the murder peddler. Moving along. <laughs> I'm going to assume it was a peddler that was murdered. Dylan... You couldn't be more more wrong, Dylan, but you'll never know now. All right. Your next duo. Poor Hattie Black or the Dungarvan Whooper. Boo. Andrew. The Dungarvan Whooper, just because I don't think you would have made that up. I think it's Hattie. Bailey, you're so wrong. It's ridiculous. Oh, no. Point to Andrew. Um, So that's just to catch us all up. That's two to one, Andrew. Okay. Got it. Um, so the story revolves around a young Irish cook, often referred to by the name Ryan. Strange detail. Ryan moved into a lumber camp located somewhere along or very near to the Dungarvan River, bringing all of his possessions with him, including a money belt. While the lumberjacks are out, Ryan is left alone with the boss of the camp, who decides to murder and rob the young cook. When as the cr- you do. As you do. Who among us has not? <laughs> When the crew returns, the boss explained the cook had taken sick and died suddenly, which is a terrible excuse because he was alive for dinner. Um, they bury they bury the body in the forest some distance from the camp. However, a terrible whooping sound keeps the group from falling asleep that night, presumably the ghost of Ryan crying out against the crime of which he was victim. <laughs> Somebody call the wambulance. <laughs> Wait, was this cook also a peddler? Because I also might know that he was... Whoop, there it is. Oh, that was really good. Ooh. 
Okay, here's our last one. Okay. I think we got it two to one, Bailey, uh, Andrew. So I hope you don't win this, Bailey. Rude. <laughs> I'll have to make. I'll have to create a tiebreaker. Slag pile, Annie. Coal dust, Ned. Boo. Uh, <laughs> slag pile just sounds rude, so I'm gonna pick that. Crap, you're right. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, slag pile, Annie is the name of a ghost reputed to haunt the former Jones and Laughlin Steel Corporation mill in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. According to the story, she appeared as an elderly woman working in a remote and hard to access part of the mill. The steel workers who spoke to her did not know they were speaking to a ghost until their co workers told them her story. Which, again, <laughs> ridiculous. Why would she just be hanging around in a steel mill? Obviously, you haven't spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh. The people are quite <laughs> friendly there. And they don't get a lot of sun. That's that's very true. Well, uh, I think this game was a roaring success. It was very short, and you tied. I just <laughs> want to imagine those coworkers being like, wow, "Where's Annie today? Who are you talking about?" Slag pile, Annie. We we were talking about the Flyers game the other day. Good local reference. Thank you. The Flyers are in Philadelphia. The Penguins are in Pittsburgh. Oh wow! Well, so shows how much Bailey and I both know about that. About that Liberty Bell <laughs> of Philadelphia. Oh no. Oh. Anyway, uh, fun game. Slag pile was just eating the cheesecake and I mean cheese steak. Oh no. <laughs> Cream cheese. Cream cheese. All right. Dylan, please save us. <laughs> it's time for you to shine, Dylan. It's time for you to choose books at random from our shelf. It's time for The, the Choosing. Halloween edition. Okay, you guys know this comes out in November. Yes, the that's right, the spookiest month. <laughs> What's scarier than Halloween? Halloween or, or some days after Halloween? That's the real question. For Andrew, we have <laughs> number 83, Thunderstruck by Eric Larson. Oh, no. Thunder. Is this the submarine one? Deadwake is the submarine one. Oh. I know nothing about this book except for that Eric Larson wrote Devil in the White City, um, and I got this book for free at my old job at a restaurant because someone left it behind who had been fired. Mm. So I go into this blind, and I'm excited. Have you read any Eric Larson before? No, I have not. Oh. Well. (laughs) (laughs) As a seriously big Eric Larson fan, I am somewhat chagrined that you're starting with thunderstruck oh but... man you're in for a book <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna have all those pages okay now i'm nervous hey that's the point the point of this yeah. podcast is to get through all the books you've been putting off reading so this is perfect it's absolutely I true reserve the right to feel grumpy about it later but for now <laughs> i'm just happy that's the spirit <laughs> all right what's my book Dylan? and billy you have number 53 Julie and Julia by Julie Powell about Julia Child reaching out from beyond the grave. <laughs> I don't think it's really about Making that. Making haunted food. <laughs> it's about Stanley Tucci Whoa. and Meryl Streep. You cut open the cake and it's filled with blood. Meryl Streep. Um, <laughs> I got this from a library book sale many years ago and I just was like, I'll read that someday. And now it's that day. <laughs> Wow, these are some stirring stories, guys. And it is this day. <laughs> I'm going to be so hungry for French food. Yum, yum. Yeah, that's true. All right, so in two weeks, Toby has N.K. Jemison's The City We Became. <laughs> and I have <laughs> Julie and Julia, my year Ooh. of cooking French food. Wow, for someone who just reminded me that this comes out way after Halloween, you're really leaning into the spooky. <laughs> 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 oh, you're right. 
Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go on to your podcast rating app of choice, <laughs> iTunes, um, and write us five stars and write us a little review um, in which you tell Andrew which Eric Larson book he should read next uh, just so he doesn't think Eric Larson is bad. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, it would really help us out if you recommended us to a friend, a relative, anyone you think who might also enjoy it. Word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners and the best way of telling people uh, what Eric Larson book they should read. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books.